0: It is match day seven of the NWSL Challenge Cup and this is the Equalizer Podcast as NWSL teams conclude the preliminary round beginning on Sunday morning when the Washington Spirit defeated the Houston Dash 1-0. to zero. The Spirit finish on seven points, the Dash finish on four points, neither one of them will be the number one seed, neither one of them will be the number eight seed, that's about all we know at this point in time. Dan of here with Pardeep Katri. And Pardeep, we were just talking off-air. Kind of a similar game to the first one we talked about, which was the Royals beating Sky Blue 1-0. I was looking forward to this one kind of a lot. And uh, I wouldn't say I'm disappointed, but I was disappointed that it was so one-sided in favor of the spirit because I don't think one nothing tells the story of this one. What, do you, what about you?
1: For sure. I was hoping that maybe Houston would... I don't know come back from that sky blue game that they played on Wednesday where they weren't showing at all signs of those first two games. they were very, very exciting to watch, especially going forward. but I don't know I don't it's possible that they were in some ways less effective today than they were in their last game.
0: I thought about this game and I hate to always start with what the losing team didn't do well. But they were playing like their halfway press, which I really enjoyed, uh, because they thrashed the rain with it. But in this one, they were sitting off, but then they weren't, there was no line of confrontation. They were letting the Spirit, who were very patient to their credit, they were letting them go through the midfield unopposed. Then they were letting them get into the final third, and it wasn't like the Spirit had a lot of chances, but they did have two or three shots from distance that went right at Jane Campbell. And were easy saves. So I'm curious what exactly was the Houston Dash game plan. I did catch a little bit of Clarkson postgame who said the lower block was because the team was a little bit tired. Uh, and I have more to say about that, but I'm, I'm not really sure what they were trying to do when they did get the ball. They just kind of booted it forward and A didn't have any plan to attack and B didn't give themselves any break from defending because they were giving it right back.
1: Right, I wonder if that has to do with the fact that they have three days less rest. I spoke to James Clarkson yesterday, and he talked about how that was definitely a massive factor going into this game because he said that his team was quite down after the last one, and it took him a couple of days to pick themselves back up. But clearly, I think probably you could see it on both teams at a certain point in the match. They were tired, and it was also 90 degrees today there. So that was probably not fun to play on at a certain point as the match went on. But really, maybe that that lack of rust explains what exactly was happening with Houston the entire game.
0: Yeah, that could be. And you're right about the temperature. And the sun has been unbearable. There hasn't been, that I can tell, a cloud in the sky during these day games. So whatever the temperature is for these day games, it's hitting them full on. But my question is, because I got a few... Twitter mentions about how, you know, the Dash were on half the rest as the Spirit. And this is when we're catching up because when Orlando dro- – and it wasn't going to be perfect anyway, but Orlando dropped out and then there was, you know, two teams played and there was a little break. And so now you basically got, you know, the four teams that played on that first day against the four teams that are doing it with a lot less rest. But if that's the case, then why not sit us daily and Groom – and just let them go for the knockout round because I'm concerned now that the dash may have thrown away their fitness or their uh, re- ability to recover in time for the knockout round, which is way more important than this game.
1: Honestly, totally agree with you there. I mean, you, you, I wonder if at this point the reason that they started those players is because they wanted to get better seating, but I don't I know that don't, that matters. Right, exactly. I was about to say, I don't know if that really will pay off in the long run. Because from my point of view, I think as long as you're avoiding the courage, you probably have a shot to get to the next round. But clearly in the Dash's case, you are going to have it tougher if your best players don't have at least some rest.
0: Right, and the only real player that they rested who we think will start is Megan Oyster. She. Right. Didn't play at all, so that's a that's a good thing uh, for them going into the knockout round, which will be Friday or Saturday. But and not only with the seating, but even if you decide, all right, the seating doesn't matter because we're not traveling and it's just whatever. And I, I understand that there is a schedule that the teams do know about based on the seating of when they'll play their quarterfinals, but it's the NWSL, so they don't like to tell anybody else about these things. So maybe that, but you can't possibly – like, fudge where you're going to go based on this game because there are so many possibilities based on draws, wins, losses, goal difference, total goals. It's impossible to even figure it out at this point with three games to go still.
1: Yeah. I mean, going into this round of matches, we had, what, five teams tied per second place? On yep. So... I think this last round of games was always going to set up for a little bit of chaos, but mostly because it was just going to be so unpredictable where you would end up until probably the final match. Uh,
0: One other little dash point that I want to mention, and then we'll get to the Spirit, who were very good in in this game in a lot of ways. Brie Vasali, I thought, was really good against the rain. I don't think she played at all in the Sky Blue game and then only got into this one late. A little surprised by that, maybe... Uh, you know it was a one game thing and she just isn't you know at the top of the depth chart at this point but if i'm if i'm a dash fan i want to see brivasally on the on the starting 11 come next weekend
1: oh for sure i mean it definitely probably helps that she hasn't had minutes at this point so much of the talk is going to be about who is rested and who hasn't but
0: yeah for for sure
1: but having her as an option and clearly somebody who doesn't have as many minutes on her, that is only going to be a good thing for them, whoever they end up playing.
0: Yeah, and the two best chances they had were basically they had the one chance uh, late in the first half where Daly got in and took the shot from a weird angle, which I think watching the replay may have hit the corner of the woodwork, but either way it didn't go in, and Vasali had a couple of late crosses when she had space down on the right side. The other thing is Daly and Groom do not know how to play even nine-tenths, um, you know, uh, of their most, you know, energetic. Like, they are 100% yeah. when they're on the field. They don't know any other way. So, you you know, it's not like they could have saved themselves within the context of the game because just neither one of them know how to do that. So um, we'll, we'll see what happens with them. Let's talk spirit because Rose Lavelle, ankle injury, so hopefully we're not back on the Rose Lavelle every game. Let's check the injury report, but she didn't start. She wasn't on the bench. And remember, she changed that Portland game. Her and Hatch came in and changed that game. Now they lose Sullivan. Um, hopefully we'll get a little bit of an update in the second half of this podcast on uh, Andy Sullivan's condition, but she had to come out. But I thought the Spirit were good. They were patient because sometimes that middling block leads you to just kick the ball away because you get frustrated, and I didn't see any frustration at all out of the Spirit. And I thought this was a really impressive job to really dominate this game without their best midfielder, And, uh, you know, with the dash kind of sitting back and inviting them into trouble, and they never took that invitation.
1: I think it just shows that all of this talk about them being better for this tournament and this season, if this is all we have for this season, really, like, they're demonstrating it. And I think of all of the teams that could possibly, you know, change the order of how the playoff teams, quote-unquote, because we're not really having playoffs now, if anybody can break into that sort of group, it's probably them and they can, t- and now they've proved it without having someone like Rose Lavelle around. And I mean, again, until the game got later, everybody looked a little bit tired and pro- uh, probably from both the weather and just playing a lot. They were totally dominant in that first half. That first half outside of like what, a couple of minutes where the dash had a couple of chances was all them
0: yeah completely they they kept the ball on their back and the thing was the dash would have let the spirit kick the ball on their back line for the entire opening 45 minutes and the spirit were very deliberate about when they moved the ball off the back line and that is not something that comes easily i you know i don't think to be honest that there are a lot of women's pro teams that are patient enough to be able to do that and uh it's a testament to what Richie Burke has done since he has gotten there. And as we said, without Lavelle, you know, Andy Sullivan helps a lot in that particular style. So she came out and I thought they lost a little bit when Sullivan came out as expected, though. I think Doherty Howard who came in her place is a very good player to bring in, you know, as bench players go in that defensive midfield spot. I think Doherty Howard is pretty darn good. Uh, I mean, the only thing with the spirit is they wasted some chances. You know, I still think Sanchez maybe needs perfect, uh, environment to shoot and that she'll need to improve that but you know she certainly makes an impact on the game but other than wasted chances i don't find a lot of flaw in what the spirit did in this game
1: that was definitely my one big takeaway from the spirit is how did they not have more goals in this game like reading it as one nil the scoreline isn't totally indicative of how that game played out
0: there was also one sequence i don't know if you noticed this it was the second half um, it was kind of like a broken play, and Hatch wound up with the ball, and Campbell didn't react right away, and Hatch had like the entire near post open. I don't know if she didn't see it or didn't think she could get it there, and then Campbell kind of recovered, and I think eventually the dash cleared it away. But, you know, you see that over and over again, and then it's one nothing, and the spirit are sitting back defending, and again, I caught a little bit of Burke who said they kind of sat back intentionally in case they get into a knockout round where they're trying to see out a game. But I thought they did pretty good even with that. You know, they absorb pressure, but I didn't feel like they were close, really, to conceding.
1: Right, exactly. I think the defensive effort, for sure, was really, really good for the Spirit. Again, like you said, I'm pretty sure, like, the only thing you can pick out of this game is that the finishing wasn't quite there. But, really, they look like like a very well-oiled machine, and they're probably in a good place to... Really, t- uh, I mean, to take on whoever it is they take on in the quarterfinals. but we'll probably go even a little deeper than that.
0: Um, we do have a update that I just saw on Twitter, compliments of Emily Olson of Pro Soccer USA, or formerly of Pro Soccer USA, I guess. Update on Andy Sullivan. Burke says the Spirit midfielder had a little pop during the game, which added to a persistent meniscus issue. She'll have an MRI to officially identify any potential injury, and trainers told Burke it was not her ACL. So the last part of that is good news, but the first part of that sounds like we might not see Andy Sullivan again in this tournament, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, pop does not sound like a good feeling at all.
0: No, and everybody is really erring on the side of caution in this event, and Sullivan's in that middle group because she is not – or was she allocated? They're going to have to look this up. Was she allocated to the Spirit this year?
1: That's a good question
0: <laughs> we're gonna have to look this up as we go, but she's not a national team regular per se trying to break into the uh, you know national team regular crew you know she was one of the last cuts from the World Cup last year and so you really just you know I think they're gonna really be um, deliberate with how they handle Andy Sullivan
1: yeah they got it.
0: Let's give the final word. She is not an allocated player in 2020. So that means that she's not officially part of the group where the U.S. soccer doctors are kind of monitoring what she's doing because she's being paid by the spirit and very convoluted there. Um, real quick, you know, as we wrap up, um, do you put the spirit as the number two ranked team if you were doing the part D power rankings? I think she has a nice ring to it, by the way. Um, would you would the spirit be number two right now for you?
1: I have not thought about power rankings one time. <laughs> I, will, I will be honest. I have a family member who told me I should never do power rankings. Okay. <laughs> but it's okay. She, I can handle her. It's fine. But uh, power rankings. I think I would probably put spirit there. I haven't quite thought it out yet, but. I feel fairly confident about that. That'll be interesting if they don't. If they do end up on the same side of the bracket as the Courage, though, so I haven't looked that hard at the bracket, so maybe they won't.
0: Yeah, it's way too early to worry about brackets. As you know, as we get through these other three games, we'll we'll try to get that sorted out. Here's one other thing for you to chew on a little bit. Both of the teams today played the same goalkeeper for the entire 360 minutes of the preliminary round. Aubrey Bledsoe for the Spirit and Jane Campbell for the dash. And Campbell's Campbell hasn't missed a game for the dash since midway through 2017, I think. Um, you know, I, look, I think coaches should do whatever they feel is best for their team. But isn't it a little bit, I don't know, dismay might be the wrong word. But the backup goalkeepers, they went into this bubble. They put themselves on the line and they couldn't get 15 or 20 minutes in games where you had five substitutions. That seems a little bit counter counterproductive to me.
1: I hadn't thought about it like that because mostly I'm just used to coaches in a tournament setting not rotating their goalkeepers yeah, up.
0: Exactly. But
1: I think when you bring in that point about how maybe they're putting their health at risk by even coming to this tournament in the first place, maybe it doesn't feel so great to not actually get some time on the field.
0: You would also just think you would want to get your backup keeper some time. I mean, you know, they even if In her season, if Campbell plays all the minutes like she did last year, you probably get your backup keeper in there for some preseason action. Maybe there's some sort of scrimmage during a bye week during the season and the backup keeper gets in. just seems like something that you'd want to get those players in the game. and, And no one was going home after the preliminary round. Last thing, both coaches really harped on the fact that the teams were tired uh, you know, James Clarkson said two weeks in the bubble and it started to get a little bit trying on his team uh, mentally and physically. You know, the spirit with the team with a little extra rest, but Burke right off the bat in his press availability said this has not been, you know, this is not really an easy format. Uh, you know, any thoughts on that? Do we think the is the knockout stage going to be a little choppy or is it, start gonna, is it going to start to become better soccer because I think the teams obviously are going to have to start doing, you know, there's no more experimenting because you got to win after this.
1: I think part of it will depend on how much rest everybody gets. Hopefully it lines up enough and it's not as imbalanced as it is currently. But, yeah, at a certain point, I wonder if throughout the rest of these games before the knockout start, you're going to see everybody just looking tired and now that you put this on my mind, it really makes me worry about the quality of the, game <laughs> in the knockout rounds. I hope it's
0: I hope it's good.
1: But I mean, these people are also professional athletes who really get up for knockout matches and stuff like that. So
0: yeah, there. I I think it's going to for the most part be better. I'm worried if maybe one team hits a wall and they play another team that just starts flying, and then you get a lopsided knockout game but i think it's going to be better i think
1: yes i'm crossing my fingers for it
0: i'm holding out hope but again i do i am concerned about the dash because they really went all in with muis groom and Daly, and i don't think they can win without those three players playing well and i hope that they can at least play well enough to give them a chance because if not they're not going to have a chance no matter who they play
1: right that was definitely a choice i mean every knockout tournament in the history of knockout tournaments you have to manage minutes Yes. I mean, and they've, what, FIFA has now allocated more subs for anybody that wants to play soccer on the planet. Correct. it's so easier to manage minutes, and I don't know if the Dash did that very well.
0: And it's even easier to manage minutes when you're not, there's no chance to go home. You're already in the knockout round.
1: Right. There were so many chances to do rotation, and I think because of the way this league is set up or this tournament is set up, seeding is not something that you have to 100% be concerned about. So it was right there for every team to do some amount of rotation.
0: Absolutely. very.
1: That might be very costly.
0: Very curious to see what the Courage do in their final game against Sky Blue. They've got that number one seed locked up. Very very curious about that. I've got one more Richie Burke quote. This one courtesy of Rich Webster, and this is uh, in quotations. Hopefully we'll get 90 minutes out of her for our next game. So so much for us speculating she might not be back, but we'll see what happens. All right, Pardeep, thanks for uh, hanging with me after the uh, dash. Uh, sorry, Spirit beat the dash one to nothing. A reminder that we record segment one. Right after the match, for the most part, so no knowledge on segment two, but when we come back in a minute or two, I will suddenly be in the know, and I'll be with John Halloran to discuss Craig Harrington facing his former boss, Rory Dames. Will the Red Stars go through the preliminary stage without a win? Red Stars and Royals is the nightcap. So, Pardee, hopefully we'll talk to you again soon, and uh, we'll be back after this on the Equalizer podcast. Hey, everybody, Jeff Kasouf here, founder of The Equalizer. Thank you for listening to The Equalizer podcast. Wanted to let you know that we also have another podcast that I host called Kicking Back. Kicking Back is a one-on-one style interview type podcast where we talk to players and coaches from the women's game and get to know them a little bit better and talk about some of the moments that define their careers. So after you're done listening to this podcast, which please finish this one first, Head over, check out Kickin' Back. Make sure you don't miss it. We've got interviews with some of the top personalities in the game right now and many names that you know from previous years in women's soccer and many more interviews to come. So check us out on any platform. The one you're listening to right now also has and Back. And we'll get you back to the Equalizer podcast now. Match Day 7, Segment 2. Dan Lauletta now joined by John Halloran. Before we get going on the uh, one nothing victory in the evening for the Chicago Red Stars over Utah Royals FC, reminder to please check us out on the web at EqualizerSoccer.com or for premium content, EqualizerSoccer.com slash subscribe. And if you like what you hear on the podcast, please remember to rate and review the Equalizer podcast today. John, the Red Stars... Finally get a breakthrough Casey short with about five minutes till uh, full time plus stoppage time. And they beat the Royals one, nothing but story of this game for me, what in the world was going on in the first half? The Reds finally woke up in the second half, but that first half with the lineup, the Red stars had out there. Um, I'm starting to wonder uh, whether the Red stars are going to get this figured out.
2: I think it's a fair question. Uh, they didn't look very good. They looked very static. they, they kind of sit in their shape and you don't see a lot of interchanges or overlaps. They don't seem to create even a lot of opportunities. So this isn't, this isn't an instance in which they're creating 10 shots and just not putting any of them in, you know, in some of these games, they've only created a handful of shots and, uh, they have two goals now. I mean, even, even though they saved this game, they have two goals over four games and, neither of those two goals were scored by anyone on their front line. They got one from Morgan Gautreaux in that first game, and then they get this one from Casey Short late. So you've also got to ask, I think, a serious question about their front line. And, you know, everybody knew that this was the question heading into this season and how they were going to rebuild their attack. And I don't think it's fair to ask them to be able to do that over four games. But the – lack of chances certainly is something that has to be a little bit concerning
0: yeah because they're not playing like a team that is just trying to figure out how to score they're playing like a team that is looks like they're trying to figure out how to create and i get nagasato didn't play and that she's a very important part of the attack but i think they had 11 on that a should have been good enough to create more than they did and b to be fair, should have run circles around the 11 that Utah had out there because they didn't even have Amy Rodriguez. And they're playing people out of position. You know, Jan's daughter's on the back of a 3-5-2. And that's not nearly her best position. So they should have run circles around Utah, in my opinion, on this night, regardless of whether they scored. And they didn't. They started to a little bit in the second half, but not nearly enough.
2: Yeah, I, I agree. You looked at what – utah was putting out there with no vera no no a-rod Labonte not starting del fava not starting uh, or not playing ball not starting um they there certainly should have been or you would have expected there to have been a better attack i think overall you can say that there have been some bright moments out of savannah mccaskill she's done some things which have uh indicated that there's the possibility that, that she can become more of a focal point. I think you've seen some good things out of Kaylee Watt. I thought Katie Johnson changed things at the half a little bit for Chicago, but there's still, I would seriously question at this point how much Rachel Hill is contributing to the attack. I just don't think there's enough being done in that front group. And like you said, looking at the lineup that Utah put out there tonight, it definitely should have been better.
0: And you don't want to knock the fact that Gautreaux had the goal and Casey Short has the goal because you want scoring from secondary sources. You just don't want those to be your only goals because when Gautreaux came off, and hopefully she's okay, but that looked like she a pretty nasty injury when she collided with Abby Smith toward the end of the first half. And I'm thinking to myself, the entire allotment of Red Stars goals over three and a half games is now off the field, I do think they had that Casey short play lined up for about 10 or 15 minutes, and they kept trying to hit it. And finally, McCaskill put on a perfect cross. In fact, she almost scored earlier when Smith caught it, and she kind of knocked it out of right. his hand right. a little bit. Um, so I give them credit for going back to that play because I do think that play was, you know, on as they, as I like to say. But I, I don't know that I can remember a point where any of the forwards looked like they might even score the entire four games.
1: Yeah,
2: it hasn't been great. Like I said, I think Kalia Watt has had some opportunities. Uh, I remember specifically in the North Carolina game, you know, she got in a couple of times. Uh, we know that Yuki Nagasato can help create. I think Savannah McCaskill has been in the realm of doing something, but you're right. There's, there's still something lacking. Uh, one thing to point out, too, about that short goal for people who are uh, you know, close followers of the Red Stars that probably reminded a little bit of how close that looked to the goal that she scored against Orlando last season and similarly how big of a goal that was.
0: Yeah, that kind of got their the end of their season on track. Right. Uh, which, ironically enough, that also coincided with Davidson and Earth playing in the middle of the back line, and Davidson came into this game and played about a half an hour And then they switched it out and not, you know, I didn't actually think they looked that good back there together, which is understandable because Davidson hasn't played since October. And if she's just getting healthy, probably hasn't trained at a particularly high level for much of that time. But I also think Sarah Gordon is just too effective on the outside and credit to her that she can also play in the middle. But I think they've got to figure out a way, even if they don't have Ertz and Davidson and going into next year, if those two are at the world cup, I think they've got to figure out how to keep Gordon outside.
2: Yeah, I don't disagree. I think that they were strongest last year at the end of the year when they were playing Davidson and Ertz there together at center back. Obviously, Davidson got hurt right before the final, so we don't know how that would have turned out uh, differently, if at all. But uh, Gordon's great there. I do think that, and this is probably an unpopular opinion, but as, as much of a believer uh as i am in Ertz playing the number six for the u.s i don't think it's ever looked quite right for chicago i think chicago is better off when Ertz is in the back and colaprico is playing the number six i think when Ertz goes into the midfield it just sets something off in there whether it's pushing colaprico out of position um that the midfield never seems to be quite right. So I do think they are stronger as a team with Ertz playing center back.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think I've gone back and forth on this a little bit, and I think I said after the first game when Ertz was in the midfield that Rory Dames is always a step ahead of me, and certainly what he's done has been effective. But I think I agree. I think at the international level you can make a case that she's the best player in the world in midfield. But I do think she should be a center back, at least for the Red Stars. Maybe not in, on every team that you would go to, but on the Red Stars, I think she should be a center back. Uh, notable that when that streak began uh, last season, they had actually beaten the Dash before that Orlando game, but they played five regular season games and a playoff game and only conceded twice. Uh, I do think there was a PK that either got saved or was missed in that group. So, you know, you have to be fair and point that out. But then another 30 minutes today, without conceding, and that's with Ertz and Davidson in the center. And remember, as you said, Davidson didn't play in the final, so you don't count that uh, when you're counting it back. Now, as for the Royals, they got Kelly O'Hara back, and they decided to use her minutes at the end of the match instead of the beginning of the match, and I thought she looked okay, but similar to Davidson, probably hasn't trained at a really seriously high level for very long since we last saw her, which was, I don't know, did she play for the national team at the end of the
2: year? I think she had an ankle issue coming out of the world
0: cup so yeah because she's been pretty banged up um and you know i'm not surprised the royals lost these last two games and couldn't score especially without rodriguez i think they'll be a tough out whoever they play in the quarterfinal but i think it's you know it's quickly caught up to them that their personnel is probably eighth out of eight in the tournament right now
2: yeah i don't know if i'd go that far i think that i think that they're going to be um, challenging for just the fact that they play this slightly unusual formation, which creates some interesting matchup issues. But I got to give Craig Harrington a lot of credit. He's created something unique. He's taken a lot of players that I don't think uh, too many pundits were real high on and put them in a position to succeed. I think he's pulled as much potential out of that group uh as is possible and i wouldn't want to play them at full strength in the knockout rounds
0: no especially if you can get o'hara in one of those winger spots in the three five two even if you only get a half out of her which is about what i would guess would be her max at this point but yeah i think that could be interesting i agree i think you know again four games it's difficult but i think it looks like they are at least bought into what harrington is trying to do and i don't think this is the team he wanted and I don't, you know, I'm not saying he doesn't want the players he's got, but there were other players that were supposed to be there, you know, press, maybe marriage some others, you know, Harris got 15, 20 minutes, whatever it is now in four games, you know, if he's got an off season and he can get people in there to kind of fit his vision, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. And I'm really pleased for him, especially that he got a win out of this tournament and he doesn't have to sit on no wins the entire well, off season.
2: Well, let me ask you if, if, if we had said before this tournament started that Utah's back line was going to be Rachel Corsi, Kate Del Fava, and Elizabeth Ball, how, how (laughs) well do you think they you know, you would have projected them to be doing at this point?
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a great call. And I think Del Fava has been one of the surprise players of the tournament. I don't think she got in tonight at all, but I think she's been really solid when she's been back there for sure. Um, all right, let's uh quickly the standings. Uh, I don't want to get too crazy about this cuz in 24 hours we'll have the answer, but the Courage are number 1. Right now the Thorns are on the bottom. So if the Thorns lose or draw to the Rain, then they are the number 8 seed and they will play the Courage. If they win, that will knock the Rain down to at least a minus 2 goal differential, which will put them in 8th place unless that happens and Sky Blue gets crushed by the Courage in which case they can drop below the Rain. In the goal difference, they're all on four points with Houston and Utah. Sky Blue right now on goal difference is plus one. The rain are minus one. So the rain would be at least minus two. And Sky Blue's got more goals scored than the rain. So I, by my calculations, Sky Blue would have to lose by at least four goals to the Courage and the Courage probably don't, I don't know. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. Do they want to beat Sky Blue by four goals Sunday, uh, Monday <sighs> night and then have to play them again on Friday or do they just not care?
2: I don't think the Courage have an off button. I don't either. Even if they put their second 11 out there, I think those players are still going to be chomping at the bit to to put out their uh, absolute best game.
0: Yeah, I do not either. Um, From the Red Stars' perspective, do you think it's – I mean, do they take a deep breath after getting the goal and the win – or, do, you know, does it get – I mean, do they – do you think that deep down they think they can go deep and win this tournament?
2: I think anything's possible. It's a knockout round at this point, and it's also a knockout tournament that doesn't have extra time. It goes straight yes. to penalties. So they can drag games out 0-0 as well as anybody. Um, so, you know, nobody knows how this is going to turn out. I think the key for them is going to be figuring out who their best three are. If, if Yuki Nagasato is healthy – can they make it work with uh, Nagasato, McCaskill, and Watt uh, is probably what I would go with. But I think Katie Johnson, as I said, made made a case tonight uh, for making a difference. And I think Michelle Vasconcelos has to be in that conversation too. And again, Rachel Hill's gotten a number of starts here, but I'm not sure she's done enough to keep her spot uh, when the game, obviously the entire tournament now, is on the line.
0: I think I agree on Hill. I feel like Watt needs other people to be effective for her to be effective. I feel like she's too easy to defend if you can key on her. So she either needs to be in transition where she can use her speed or she needs people to be dangerous on the other side where she can maybe sneak into some space or be certain that she's going to be one-on-one. Otherwise I feel like she's gotten too predictable over the years.
2: I I, I think that's a fair criticism. Um, you know you can see when she gets in these 1v1 positions she she works herself maybe half a step of space but it's often not enough to get off a shot or if it is it's a shot where she's slightly off balance or she puts it off frame so i think she's having a hard time creating enough space to get off uh, the shot that she wants to get off
0: uh anything else of note for this one or looking ahead to the final final match how weird is thorns rain going to be in front of no fans in utah
2: yeah, I don't know. I mean, the rain obviously have been one of the more disappointing teams. Outside of the 20 minutes, uh, the last 20 minutes of their last game, they, they had a pretty abysmal performance there as well. They really have not shown a lot of ideas. They've been a pretty stagnant uh, team of their own.
0: And uh, before we go, I'll pose a question that I posed to, to Pardeep in the opening segment. Uh Not applicable to the two teams that played in the night games on Sunday, but in the day games you saw Bledsoe and Campbell got every minute in goal. And I kind of feel like that is almost a disservice to the backup keepers that, you know, I realize it's a competition and you've got to prove yourself, but they put it on the line to train, stay in shape, get in shape, went to the bubble, you know, if you took on some sort of risk and it just seems odd competition wise too, but I, you know, I felt like you'd want to at least get your backup keeper 10 or 15 minutes, even if you, especially with five subs, if you didn't want to go a whole game with them.
2: Well, the thing I didn't understand, which is kind of related to that is that as far as I know, Chicago was the only team that did, I guess Utah just kind of did it, but they even Utah kept some of their key players in for this game. We didn't see a heavy rotation. We saw rotation. Teams changed their players uh, up, but they often changed three or four players each game. And I really would have thought more teams would have taken advantage of the fact that nobody was going to get eliminated from this group stage. Why weren't you doing a full 11? Take a look, you know, at some of the players a little bit further down the roster, because this is likely the only time you're going to see these players in live action until the offseason and now you're going to have to make roster decisions who do you keep who do you trade who do you protect in the expansion draft so we can take a look at that with keepers sure but i was just surprised overall as a theme that more teams didn't look at a heavier rotation here do you
0: think it's coaches being i don't like the word afraid but hesitant to do something that might cause a result that will that would reflect negatively on them
2: maybe and i think listen you don't You don't end up coaching at this level unless you're a pretty hyper-competitive person to begin with. So I think it's hard for a coach to take a step back and say, it's okay if we lose here, um, even though a lot of them like to say that. And um, I I just think that you have to be willing to do that because you're not really going to get a sense of what these players can do just from training sessions or just from interest squads scrimmages you want to be able to put them out there in these situations see how they're going to react in a full 11 and it might not be good look if they're not playing regularly they might go out and and not have a good game so even that might not be indicative but I think this was literally the best opportunity in the history of the league to just throw players out there and try stuff The, the one flip side the one caveat to that is it is often more effective as a coach to sprinkle a player or two into your regular lineup. If you really want to see where they stack up side by side, you need to surround them with good players. If you just dump your second 11 out there. I agree with that 100%. Yeah, so there's there's a caveat to that where like if you're looking at two players in a specific battle at a specific position – you have to keep that a fair comparison, meaning you have to surround them with good players. Um, but again, four games in 16 days, I, I don't see why more of these coaches didn't take one of those games and just say, I'm going to give this to the bench, um, give them a run out, maybe as a reward, as you mentioned, for being in the bubble and all of that. But just to take a look at them before we head, because again, you know, a couple of these teams are going to be eliminated a week from now. And we're not going to see them play, and their coaches aren't going to see them play again until next March. And And with the – go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, again, you have to make roster decisions coming up here.
0: And the Australian season, if it even happens, is now going to be different, and it's not going to suit – the NWSL players aren't going to be able to go over there because they're extending their season to overlap, so it's going to be a whole different decision now.
2: Yeah, and And, you know, just on that note, I'm curious, do do some of these players – take off for Europe in August because what's the point in sticking around here right now?
0: It's fair. Yeah, especially, you know, the virus seems to be mostly under control over there. That's mm-hmm. a good point. Yeah, that's a long time not to play. Very long time. And, you know, in this night game especially, and I don't mean Gautreaux because that was a collision, but players were dropping all over the place. And that's what yeah. one of the big worries was that the fitness was going to go. Yep. And it might just be that this is when the fitness went, though it didn't happen earlier. But it, I thought it did happen quite a bit in the night game, where players were going down with what looked like muscle injuries.
2: Well, we saw we saw Sullivan go down with a non-contact in that first game too.
0: Right. Yeah, that's what we're going to be looking at Monday: Sullivan and Gauthreau injury updates.
2: Yeah.
0: So, all right. Well, that's going to wrap it up for uh, Match Day Seven, and in the nightcap, the Red Stars finally get a goal, first goal since the first game. Casey Short. Scored it, and they beat uh, the Utah Royals one nothing earlier in the day. Washington down Houston one nothing. Final two preliminary round games on Monday, and we'll be back with another podcast in about 24 hours. For Pardeep Catchery and John Halloran, I'm Dan Lauletta. Thanks for listening to the Equalizer Podcast.